This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann at Otago Polytechnic. Kanga today, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How are you? I'm going very well indeed. Christmas is coming in quite a hurry. Oh, is it ever? And um, and I just am not quite sure what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I not don't so know much the what to do. <laughs> it's not so much Christmas. It's a problem. It's the other people going on their holidays or in some cases retiring and so on and offloading their priorities onto my desk. Oh, that's not good. Um, but that's okay. We'll get there. Who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Greg Hewson. Greg is a retired Methodist minister and university chaplain, very busy in his community, I think, still by the sounds of things, and, mm-hmm. and with a really interesting life journey. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, kia ora, ko Taranaki te maunga, ko Waiawa te awa, ko te hahi witiriana, ko Aotearoa te iwi, ko Greg Hewson toko ingoa. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora, Greg. Greg, we've been asking people how life was in their bubbles, re- recognising, of course, that that's now turning into history, but how was your bubble life? Our bubble life was, um, yeah, quite a new experience. My wife and I both retired from the University of Otago at the end of 2019. Our daughter was married um, in Martinborough in February 2020. And then, of course, COVID hit. And uh, we were so pleased we had the family wedding just before that with friends of our daughter and son-in-law coming from all around the world. But the lockdown meant that my wife and I had a lot of time just on our own we're fortunate we have a large garden here in Cavisham where we live, so we were out in the garden a lot. Um, I had started a project when I was working at the university on writing a book on marriage, so I completed that. It's called Getting Married in New Zealand, uh, Te Maranatanga o Aotearoa, and so we had a book launch for that later in 2020. Um yeah, we watched a lot of movies, I read a lot of books, and um, when we, whenever we could, we interacted with our grandchildren, who we're fortunate to have two granddaughters here in Dunedin, so we were meeting up with them as soon as our bubble expanded. It was great to be able to um, spend quality time with them and to help them with their schoolwork during the bubble um, time. During that first lockdown, the one of the big areas of interest was the bluff wedding you were lucky it wasn't the martinborough wedding we were all concerned about exactly yes yes no we were very fortunate um that our wedding for our daughter was covid free and 
this coming February, I have a wedding which I'm officiating at for my son and his Norwegian partner. They're coming back from Norway, and we're going to have a wedding on the beach up near Picton in January. So that'll be special as well. That'll be fun. You're not relying on the Dunedin weather for that? No, no. No, well, the Dunedin summer weather, as you know, is rather unpredictable. Like today, it's freezing out there again. Yeah, this is the worst December weather that we've had since last week. Indeed, that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well well said. So you're, in, you're still in Caversham? Yes, yes. We've been living in the same house here in Caversham for 18 years now. And one group I've joined in my retirement, it's called the Caversham Community Group, and it receives what's called place-based funding from the DCC. And this is great because we can do community projects. Unlike other groups around the area, we don't employ anyone. We just um, uh, do the projects ourselves. We've upgraded and, and we maintain the Caversham Reserve and we have a seniors group that meets monthly for lunches and we um, help with the Teddy Bears Hospital and all sorts of projects around Caversham. You've got a special worm in that reserve, haven't you? Yes, yes, we have, but I haven't got to see us see one of those worms yet, but they tell me they're lurking there. So one day, and we hope Let to have the tunnel open soon so that we can push bike through to Mosgiel. Indeed. That, that will be a, a, a big thing. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Carol King. You've got a yep. friend. Yep. Why this one? Well, I've always loved this one because um, it talks about when you're down and troubled and you need some love and care, nothing and nothing is going right. Um, it talks about being there for our friends and letting them know that we're going to be there for our friends when they're down, which inevitably happens we all have our darkest nights and this word these words from carol um, you just call out my name and you know wherever i am i'll come running to see you again whether it's winter spring summer or fall all you've got to do is call so i think this became important song for me during my church ministry years and in my university chaplaincy years which was all to do with pastoral care and spiritual support for lots of people who were struggling so it expresses how ideally we are uh, we make our friendships available to each other and that can make a huge difference
known to generations as the Toy Story song. Mawera. It's a big calling, um, that calling to the ministry. What set you on that path? Well, I was born into a church family in Hopanaki in Taranaki back in 1957, and um, I grew up in the fellowship of the church, and I always wanted to be a vet. So I went off to Massey to do VET, and like hundreds of others, I just missed out. So I um, did a science degree in biochemistry and physiology and found myself working in research up at Ruakura Research Centre in Hamilton. And I did a master's degree in biological science. And um, during this time, I was leading the local church youth group in Hamilton in Hillcrest. And during those seven years, I felt a growing call to ordained ministry and I wanted something more to do with people than with sheep. I love sheep but I got a bit tired of sheep so um, I left the lab and I went well actually I went through a one-year selection process and at that through that year your call and your suitability for ministry is checked out at all levels locally regionally and nationally 
and I kept getting affirmed at each stage. So 1985, my wife and I packed up our worldly belongings and our two children, and we moved to Auckland for three years, where I trained for ministry in the Methodist Church. So it was really a progression through a scientific career and wanting um, to expand my awareness into ministry from a scientific base. And I was told that that's why I was appointed as chaplain at the University of Otago was because of my background in science and my capacity to engage intellectually with science students and with people here with medical and pharmacy and particularly biochemistry department I had a lot to do with at the University of Otago. So it's been an interesting journey. It sure has. Mm. And there is... There are some who say that you can't have a faith in God if you've got a science perspective. And here you are with a faith in God, as you understand God to be, and you're a scientist. How does that work? Well, I've never had a problem reconciling the two. And if we look back through history, you know, many of the significant scientists have been people of faith whether they're Christian, Muslim, or Jewish, or Buddhist, or Baha'i. I think when I moved from the study of science to theology, my whole consciousness expanded, because I think um, spirituality is far broader than science. It doesn't negate science, but science has its limits. Science, scientific technique is all about measurement and quantifying things, measuring things, naming things, discerning trends. It's all very important. But theology, spirituality, it's looking more at what is the meaning, what is the significance of what's going on in our lives and in our world. And that that links closely with psychology and with um, medicine and with um, taha wairua, you know, with, with spiritual health. Because as Mason Jerry and others have brilliantly shared with our whole society, you know, through Te Whare Tapa Farm model of health. Um, our, our holistic health will only be there if we are spiritually healthy. And for me, that happens to be within the Christian faith tradition. But since I've been here in Dunedin, since um, I was university chaplain, I met people more and more of every different religion in the world. Um and religion is not going away, <laughs> you know. Religion is here to stay. People, we are something deeply spiritual about being human, I feel. Um, there's a problem when people like Richard Dawkins and others would declare, you know, confidently from a scientific perspective, there is no God. But that seems to me to be a rather arrogant stance. It it denies the possibility of exploring the mystery, which we'll never be able to define. But for me, that's a loving presence that reaches out and brings me healing and meaning and hope. So there's all those positive things that I could not get from science alone, which I get through my faith. And that is in community with people from all around the world, not just Christians, but people of all faiths and people of no particular faith who would still say to me that they're spiritual but not religious. So one 
committee I've been on since I retired has been helping plan our new chapel for the new Dunedin Hospital. And I was the Christian representative on that group alongside a friend from the Muslim community, the Buddhist community, the Baha'i community, the Jewish community, and hospital representatives who said, well, we're spiritual but not religious. So we need to build something in the centre of our new hospital that is going to be um, an inclusive space for everyone. And I so like that thinking. Yeah, so we've done that. We did that. We took three years over that, and it's all it's ready to build. And and so it won't be a Christian chapel. It will be a spiritual centre. And things have changed in New Zealand over the last fifty years. When the current chapel was built, it was um, a sense of Christianity still being by far the dominant um, religion in Dunedin, but it's uh, tracking downwards, and it'll continue to track downwards, you know, from 50 to 40 to 30 to 20. By 2050, there'll be around 10% who will say they're Christian in Dunedin. And by 2050 all the other religions will be up to 10%. <laughs> and there'll be 70% who will say they're spiritual but not religious. And that's a blessing largely from um, Taha Māori to our whole land. And there'll be about 10% who will be anti-religion, maximum. So we had to build in that reality into our design process for the new spiritual centre. And through that three years of planning, we learned a huge amount um, from each other. And we look forward to the opening and blessing of that space by local Kaumatua in um, maybe hopefully five or six years' time. It's a slow process, isn't it? Well, <laughs> and we're hoping it won't be cut as a result of the um, plans to reduce costs because the costs have gone crazy. So we would hope that a secular government would not say, you don't really need that, do you, Dunedin? You don't really need a spiritual centre. We can save maybe five or ten million by uh, not including that. So I would hope that um, it would continue to be seen as essential to have a, a designated spiritual space within a hospital where people who are grieving, people who need support can go and find um, peace and to find um, a place to reflect and, and to have chaplains there who can understand and, and be their friend. You know, the chaplains in our hospitals have um, amazing and, and very important work to do. Greg, listening to your all, I hear a really significant departure from the my religion is right and yours is wrong kind of attitude that um, we still see in some parts of the world. Is, it, is that going from New Zealand, from, uh, from the spiritual community? Is it, is it finally departing? Um, certainly in the last 20 years, there has been a, a significant growth internationally in the interfaith movement around the world. And um, if we just take one crisis in the world, um, September the 11th, 2001, where um, supposedly Muslim people flew these planes into the buildings. And that became an opportunity for the world uh, to learn more about Islam, because the, the, the vast majority of Muslim people around the world 
immediately declared that they dissociated themselves from that act of killing innocent people. And so here in Dunedin, I had Muslim students coming to me when that happened and um, at the university and saying, can we write a letter together as Christians and Muslims condemning this? And so since then, I mean, there's been huge numbers of tragedies before and after 9-11, but it was a turning point for the interfaith movement and groups like our Dunedin Abrahamic interfaith group, which we set up here in Dunedin, um, groups like that sprung up all around the world. And we started with just three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And we have met every month since September 2001. And we have learned a huge amount from each other, and many of us have become good friends. Um, not every church has chosen to affirm that in Dunedin, but there are many people from many different denominations that have chosen to join. Similarly, within the Muslim community, it's very diverse. And um, Muslim people here in Dunedin come from many, many different countries with different expressions and different understandings of Islam. And so not every Muslim person is open to interfaith um, friendship building. But we did start to focus on peace education. So we find that at the heart of all the religions, there is a deep commitment to peace in the teachings of all those religions. So we started to visit high schools around Dunedin. And we still do this. And we go into the classrooms and we take students from different faiths and they share about how important their faith is and then they have questions in the class and each year we have an annual peace lecture at the university which um, is fully supported by the university as an open lecture and the vice chancellor comes and introduces our peace lecturer for the year we started with david longy in 2004 and a thousand people turned up and last year we brought over the um, Muslim Mufti, the chief leader of the Muslim community in Singapore, and he gave a wonderful peace uh, lecture. So in between, we've had Jewish, Christian and Muslim leaders and academics and people from all around the world. After 15th of March 2019, we brought down my friend Imam Jamal Fawda, the Imam of the Al-Nur Mosque, where the slaughter happened. And um, hundreds of people came to hear Jamal say, um, you know, love, not hate, shall be our response to this tragic um, terrorist activity where 50, over 50 people were martyred. And so we, we engage in peace education together. And when we do that, we come to value each other as people and we see, yes, we are different. We don't all agree on aspects of doctrine, but we all agree that we want a, a peaceful world. So let's um, do our best to achieve that and educate for that so that religion is never ideally to be seen as part of the problem, which sometimes it is. You know, we have look back in our history and see the Crusades where the Christians decided, you know, they were the best. And, they went out and slaughtered people just because they were different. And that clearly is a terrible thing to do. We need to learn from that. Um, so in 2013, we formed another interfaith council, which has 12 religions in, in, in Dunedin. Wow. 
the Dunedin Interfaith Council, and we've also met monthly since then for nearly 10 years. And one thing we organise is the prayer or the karakia before Dunedin City Council meetings. So we roster on um, Buddhist, Hindu, um, Christian, um, Jewish, Muslim um, people to offer a short prayer before each Dunedin City Council meeting and the City Council appreciate that variety of equally sincere spiritual um, blessing on their meeting which is going to follow. So it's my turn to, to share that prayer next Tuesday morning. And that builds up an understanding with the Council that all these different religions in Dunedin are available to help support the work the Council is doing. And no one of them is saying we are any better than any of the others. So I think we can do things locally here that um, start to break down that stereotype of um, all of these different religions saying they're the best. How do we spread that message throughout the rest of the the community? Because, like we, I mean, I don't know what it's like in the rest of New Zealand, but certainly I observe here in the Bay of Plenty. Um, that if you're not, if you don't go to this particular type of Christian church, you're not being a proper Christian. That kind of thing. I just find it odd, and yes. I and actually I don't know what the what the right argument for it is. Especially when I see these churches, I I I see what I consider to be a level of exploitation and in in a ridiculous expectations of tithing and you know families yeah. having to give give more to their church than they can give to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. How do we fix that? It's really hard. And I think in my experience in the end, it only comes through um, what I call faith development. And I studied this at university. I did my Bachelor of Divinity through Otago. And my thesis was on how do you help faith to grow in a healthy way? And ideally, your faith will grow towards a place of inclusive love. Um, but it gets stuck at what some faith theorists say is like stage three and that is where you do what you're told it's an immature faith and you get these power structures where there are authoritarian leaders who claim to know it all and their job is to transfer their specific doctrines into your brain and you are not to ask questions so that's really dangerous and you that ultimately it will form a cult and where the person can no longer think rationally for themselves so Ideally, it comes through being a lot people in those restrictive churches being able to ask questions. And I think it has to come initially through concerned friends, concerned family members who say, perhaps gently, um, it appears to me, you know, that the way you're going is, is isolating you from your whānau, you know, or from your community. You're joining up with a group that claims to be the only way. But look, look what's happening over here. Look what this group is doing. Um, and hopefully, eventually, those people will realise they need to move out of that church. I've supported many people in my 45 years of ministry to leave churches which have not been helpful for them psychologically or spiritually. And generally, the warning sign is an authoritarian leader, and that person is generally male. Mm. 
and I could mention some names, <laughs> but I won't. We can all think of some leaders that we think, no, we would never want to be part of that church. And if that's Christianity, we don't want it. Is it, is it that people, people who find themselves in those kind of spaces, is it because they feel so powerless they need to, is, there, is it a lack of power in their own lives that they need, well, they need to hitch themselves to someone else who to keep them on a path? Like, I, I just can't, I can't understand it. No, it's very hard to understand unless we put ourselves in the situation of the person who may have been born into such a church. And there are some churches that are so strict that they've only got those who've been born and they believe that only those who've been born into their fellowship are, you know, the best, the only ones who are going to be saved or whatever. So if they're brought up from birth with that teaching, you know, they're just going to accept it from their parents. Um, but some people do get attracted at university into cult-like churches because they are very lonely and they feel insecure and they need um, friends and they don't worry too much about the doctrine of exclusiveness because they're feeling all the warm fuzzies. Mm. Only later that they'll realise, oh, that doesn't, that teaching doesn't seem quite right to me. But if they're not able to challenge it, if they're told that they should not ask questions, so a healthy church will encourage, or a healthy mosque, or a healthy synagogue. You see this in the Jewish tradition; it's wonderful. Everything must be questioned. Everything must be questioned, and the faith grows through the questioning. And it's all about the journey, not ever arriving. And I think that's my understanding of faith, is that it is a lifelong journey and that there's always more to learn and always more to experience and not to be constrained. Um, you know, some Christians, some Christian missionaries, tragically, were very, had very negative attitudes towards Maori culture. And therefore, some very sad situations happened where Maori people were told that they needed to abandon certain cultural practices which were precious to them, and this was wrong. Um, in our Methodist church now, for example, we are constituted as a bicultural church, and we have uh, Paha Maori and Tawiwi in partnership, and our Methodist missionaries advocated the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi to safeguard you know, the retention of all that was precious to, to Māori. And so since 1985, we've been on this journey trying to, to bring um, reconciliation, to bring healing, and to bring mana, you know, back and forgiveness, and to make a fresh start acknowledging what is precious for our cultures. And for me, that has been beautiful to see, to be able to learn more about Māori culture and Māori spirituality and to see that that can be beautifully integrated with um, with the Christian faith, or with the Muslim faith, or with the Buddhist faith. And I now have many Māori friends who are in each of those faith groups who are thriving because they are reclaiming their identity as Māori and not needing to give up their faith identity either. It doesn't have to be either or. 
It does have to be either or because I need to interrupt and okay. play the second of your music choices, The Beatles, All You Need Is Love. Why this one? Well, I had a church service to take, I think it was just before Christmas last year, and um, yeah, about a year ago, and, and I chose this song to play during the service because All You Need Is Love, I think, expresses for me what Christmas is all about. Um, Christmas is a time for sharing. Christmas is a time for love. Um, all you need is love. Um, nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you in time. It's a great line. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Nothing you can make that can't be made. No, no one you can save that can't be saved. It's It just culminates in this, this truth. All you need is love, and Christmas is all about love. The Christian message is that God so loved the world that Jesus was here to remind us that we're all loved. And it is a loving time where families and whanau and people come together to love one another and to to take a break from all the stress, ideally. Ideally, I say, because Christmas can be stressful, but um, all you need is love. And, and I think that's a profound truth.
Sprite of the Forest of Orokudui, Dinan's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, and kia ora hanoi, kia koutou kotawa I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are the triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now i know that for us all the last more than three years have been very tough and we've had to negotiate so many different ways of doing being seeing feeling And it's so important that for all of us, we extend the love, the compassion, the kindness, the understanding, the presence that we all need, that we all deserve, and that we can all innately provide. Even very simple moments can be so nourishing if we allow them to be. And I feel at all times there is that current of love and reciprocity that runs between all life. That current of manakitaka. And our Modi, our life force, meeting one another. Holding space for one another. Embracing one another. Accepting and caring for one another. As its natural state. So, of course, for myself, the living world, of course, is a huge comfort. And I'll be heading out to my heart's home workplace, Warukanui Eco Sanctuary, a little bit later this morning with my dear younger brother. And we'll be revolutionising my education space. And we will then return to the War Mansion and begin revolutionising one of my large rooms, which is full of many beautiful clothes and other objects at the moment. And these beautiful treasures are going to be winnowed down and released to the universe so that the big room can turn into a big creative studio. So that's very exciting. And I appreciate having that support and that helps so much. Often when we are looking at these large tasks, it can feel quite overwhelming. And having the support and the assistance of someone who is not directly related to the large task 
can be very, very helpful. So I really hope for you, whatever you are changing and transforming in your own life, you have the help and the support of those around you who care for you to do this. And whether or not they are directly outwardly manifested, or whether there are aspects of yourself that are coming forward to help you, or both, I really hope that these transitions and these transformations are going smoothly for you. I know for myself that I'm quite inclined towards accumulating treasure, but I also love gift giving, so it can be, I think, a beautiful movement taking place where many, many treasured items can be treasured items for others. And as we know, when we create space, the new can come forward for us to enjoy. And I think for all of us, we have been moving through this process. There are things that we now realize we can let go, we can release, we don't need to hold on to anymore. And there are things that we would choose to keep that are precious. And the last few years have helped us. They've helped us to refine our tastes. They've helped us to refine our perceptions of what's truly important, what truly nourishes us, what we want to keep in our lives. And what may not fit anymore, what may not feel like us anymore and can be set free. With gratitude someone else to enjoy so I really hope for you that this process of refinement is going really really well and of course being part of the show is a huge part of my own journey and I'm so grateful to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me and I look forward to talking to you again thanks so much you're listening to Blowing Bubbles we're talking with Greg Hewson Greg, before the Beatles and Tahu, she'll be pleased that we've bracketed those two. You were, we were talking about, um, we, we mentioned peace and you also mentioned the Moss shootings. And I was thinking about the theme of this show being positive but not deluded. And then yep. we were convinced that we should add a dash of deluded. Um, <laughs> so we've got a dash of deluded. So I'm interested in the sort of like the balance of those things. And what popped into my head and I've just been thinking about was on a day which I think you were part of on the 15th of March 2019. I spent lunchtime with the high school kids at the climate strike and it was just such an amazing good feeling. And then went from that to Peter Holland's memorial service. Which I led. I I thought you did. Um, yes. And then, and then, I think through that it was trickling out the news of the the mosque, the, the mosque shootings. Yes, and it was such a roller coaster. But the sort of the juxtaposition of those things actually gave me more hope. Yep. Yes. Well, for me that was a roller coaster of a day as well because Peter Holland was a dear friend, and I had been at the climate event at lunchtime because I'm very involved in. Um, climate change action and writing about climate change still. Um, So then I found myself receiving phone calls from politicians um, after Peter Holland's 
memorial service asking for contacts, please, with the lo for the local Muslim community. And then I had a ring from Tony Ballantyne saying, could I come to the staff club? You know, because they wanted to gather people and they wanted me to officiate at a at a some sort of spiritual um, recognition of what had happened, which I did in the staff club, because they were going to have a book launch and hundreds of people were there anyway. So I got there and did that, and then the next few weeks, no, the next few days, I I found myself helping prepare for the Dunedin Memorial Gathering, which initially was going to be in the Octagon, but I realised there was going to be thousands coming, so we moved it to the stadium, and 18,000 people turned up. 12,000 students walked from the university to the stadium, and I organised the prayers from the six different faiths, and the 50 candles, you know, we organised different groups to bring a candle forward for each of the martyrs. And, um, yeah, that was one of the most profoundly moving moments in my life when I stood to give the Christian prayer uh, for comfort and for compassion to flow between us all in the presence of 18,000 people. And the silence in that stadium as we prayed, the six of us from six different religions all expressing our our love, our aroha, our compassion, our plea for um, for healing and, and um, understanding to grow between us. And it was all on the same wavelength. It was all very spiritual. And then I kept in touch with my friend Jamal, who was the imam, and he, he was up there in Hagley Park preaching, you know, that following week, love, not hate, will prevail. He believes that there was a reason why he did not die, that God must still have work for him to do. Allah must still have work, and that work is focused on peace and spreading the message of Islam. And uh, um, Islam means peace. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, we lurch from one extreme to another, and we never know what is going to happen next. But I think my faith helps me go with the flow and to be available, and the city council thanked me for, for having those interfaith contacts, without which it would have been very difficult to organise mm. that um, huge event at the stadium. So we, we're always being prepared for what comes next, and sometimes we may feel we're being deluded, we may wonder what on earth is happening, but when we look back and see a reason for that time of delusion, um, Richard Dawkins, whom I mentioned earlier, has written a book called The God Delusion. And so from his atheistic, um, secular perspective, those who believe in God are deluded, which is quite a critical term. And you can imagine the academic uh, response at all levels to that book. And so a recent book that's been written um, in response to Dawkins' book is um, the Dawkins delusion. <laughs> How can someone restrict their worldview to the scientific? This is this is not a holistic way of looking. Science has its place, but let's be more open to the mystery, to the spiritual, which cannot be quantitated, but which resonates as being very true when eighteen thousand people meet to grieve together. In the, in the stadium in Dunedin. 
something deeply spiritual is happening there to enable us to come together to say we care as humans and we're going to ask the DCC is going to ask some religious leaders to pray so here's a secular group coming to the religious community and saying help we're a little bit out of our depth here we need some spiritual support in our secular uh, organization and this is why we have chaplains in the armed forces why we have chaplains in the workplace why we have chaplains in our hospitals why we have chaplains in our university and our politics and we now have maori chaplains and muslim chaplains at otago university and so it's a model that is growing to embrace for people of other religions it's not just a white pakiha model anymore and i'm thrilled about that i have got some questions to end the show with and close to negative time so we're going to have to really wriggle, wriggle through them okay. greg what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years in the last couple of years my biggest success has been uh, recovering from a time when i i was totally burnt out and exhausted when i retired i was i was very unwell and i needed to spend some time in hospital and i became the recipient of a lot of love and care and i was told it would take me two or three years to recover and it has so um i'm continuing to to recover and that i think is my biggest success the other things are um being a granddad and um celebrating the arrival of grandchildren including our first grandson a year ago so we're writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you are most definitely in that team what's your superpower what's got you into the Super team into the mansion my superpower well i i would say that um it is my christian faith that sustains me and enables me to do things that i could not otherwise do i remember when i took my first funeral i was really frightened and there were 300 people there and i prayed to god for help to have the courage to know what to say and i very nearly ran away but <laughs> like lots of people in the bible have you know but i wouldn't so much call it a superpower because that potentially could have a little bit of arrogance in it but looking back over my life i've been enabled to do a lot of things particularly grief support and tragedy support for lots of people who've appreciated it uh, because of my christian faith and i would say that's earthed in an, an inclusive understanding of christian faith what is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so Ooh, biggest challenge or opportunity. Well, my wife and I would love to go to Norway, maybe next year to visit our Norwegian family. That would be a big challenge for us, but it would be a wonderful opportunity to hang out with our Norwegian granddaughter and to meet our daughter-in-law's side of the family. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Ooh. 
Well, just reflect on those words and those songs. Um, All You Need Is Love from the Beatles. And when you're down and troubled and you need some loving care and nothing, nothing is going right, uh, reach out to a friend. Just um, my advice is that you may feel alone, but actually you're not. There is always at least one person there that you can ask for help. You can reach out and that person will be there for you. My advice is know that you're not alone. Thank you for that. Mawera. Greg, um, in a world where people often feel so judged and they and find it difficult to find places to belong, I really appreciate that you're you're the guy who's the opposite of that. Um, <laughs> inclusive and non judgy and kind. And I think that your your community in Dunedin is really lucky to have you and may your way of being spread throughout the land. Kia ora. Thank you. Kia ora. Thank you for your podcast too, which I greatly enjoyed. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> on your doctorate. Thank you. safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic which is brought to you by tipukenga we're broadcast on otago access radio every monday wednesday and friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie this is christina aguilera i'm samuel mann at otago polytechnic with Moira Karatai in Fakatani and in Cavisham, Dunedin, we've been joined by Greg Hewson. For that blowing bubbles, we hope you enjoyed the show. Marty Wa.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.